Christine Kane. Christine Kane is uh, uh, a speaker that's recognised around the world as, uh, as, a, as a conference speaker, or a dynamic uh, female communicator, and, and she gets uh, someone who, who grabs the attention of people and goes right to the heart of issues in her life. And with her husband, they founded... Um, uh, an organisation, an anti-human trafficking organisation called A21 uh, that's determined to, or it's dedicated to abolishing injustice around the world in the 21st century. And so uh, they planted a network of churches in Europe um, and she travels extensively speaking at conferences and events around the world um, in addition to being a best-selling author. But it wasn't always like that for Christine Kane. In fact, um, she was born in the mid-60s uh, to a Greek woman in Sydney and uh, adopted out as an infant and raised in one of the poorest suburbs in Western Sydney. And uh, Christine Kane was marginalised because of her ethnicity and her gender. And she never knew her natural mother or the circumstances that led to her birth. As a child, she was sexually abused by four different men. Um, for 12 years and then she met Jesus and her life was completely revolutionized and turned around and she began to become the person God intended her life to be and you know a lot of people grow up with disadvantage and discrimination things happening in their life that can block them and can eat away at our sense of self who we are who, who God made us to be um, and block us from achieving what we otherwise could in life. That happens to a lot of people. And, and today I want to just share about one of these things, about one of the giants that every one of us in this room has to confront that, that would, be, would try and keep us from our destiny in God. And we've already been canvassing some of this this morning in this meeting today. But I want to talk about the giant of rejection because at some level, You'll all face it, and we all face it in our lifetime. None of us wants to feel that we aren't good enough or smart enough or wanted enough or none of us wants to be left out or overlooked. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I did, uh, most of us here who, are, who might be honest about these things would acknowledge that at some point in our lifetime, we felt like one of those things. And it, it, it really uh, covers a lot of ground. You might, you might put on an exterior that says, well, I don't need anyone's approval to feel good about myself. And sometimes people do that. And uh, I actually Googled that phrase, uh, I don't need anyone's approval. I Googled that. And again, I was flooded with all of these uh, academic and quite intelligent, rational arguments about why you don't need anyone's approval. But actually, I didn't really read too much of them. But, but the point is this. What, what it says to me is because there were so many arguments, so many people saying, I don't need anyone's approval, just proves the point that we all have a real need in this area. And that's very easy for us to feel like we are less than who we otherwise might be or that we really do need to be accepted and loved by other people. It just proves the point. Maybe your father didn't stick around even to meet you. Maybe your spouse walked out the door and found someone else. Maybe your parents split up and you had to adjust to being shuttled between families. Maybe a trusted friend stopped taking your calls. Maybe 
it could be something specific like I've been mentioning, like a, a abandonment by a parent or a, or a caustic remark by a teacher or, or some significant person. Or it could be just something as simple as an insinuation that was never ever intended to cause harm, but it lodged in your mind or in your heart. And, and that, that here's the problem. Those things build on each other over time. And every time something like that happens, uh, we can find ourselves latching onto it and it diminishes who we feel that we are and we struggle with those things. I remember as a kid um, growing up in, in Victoria and little country town where we were, and I was never very interested in sport. You know, I, uh, my family weren't really into sport much. And so um, I, I just, I was much more interested in things like motor racing or fixing up old cars and things like that. So I actually did my best to get out of sport at school. But anyway, one day or one time there was a, there was a tennis coaching clinic in the little town where we were, and I got talked into going along to this. And so here I'm, I'm, I've got this tennis racket. I'm trying to hit the balls, the tennis balls. And, and someone on the other side of the net who obviously could play quite well hit this tennis ball really quite hard. Anyone watch the, you know, the Australian Open or the US Open? You see it's pretty, like, and you see the kilometres on, on the little thing sometimes? That's kind of what happened. And um, it hit me in a place where it, wouldn't have been a good place to be hit. And, uh, and it didn't, I, it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a good feeling, you know. And so I, I actually, I walked off the court and I, I felt humiliated. And uh, I'm not proud to say this, but I never went back there. I never went back to it. I'm not advocating this, by the way, because you've got to toughen up sometimes and you've got to keep going. You know, you, you have to, but I didn't. And it humiliated me and it just ate away at me for a little while. Anyway, the point is things like that happen in life and they can be cumulative and they add on to each other and we often feel bad about ourselves. So rejection is at the heart of many of the behavioral symptoms and issues that we face in life. Things like insecurity, low self-esteem, inferiority, even self-hate rejection can be at the root of those things but it's more than that it's not only that it also drives other behaviors like for example the person who is driven to succeed or perfectionism I put up my hand for that one I've been a perfectionist for a long time Paul's Paul's discovering that he's getting a little bit tired of it probably (laughs) but I I call myself a recovering perfectionist and I'm, I'm working at um at trying to deal with that. So sometimes I do things a bit, um, a bit rough just, just to force myself, you know, just not to, not to be a perfectionist. Anyway, other things like winning at all costs can actually be driven by rejection that we feel as a child in our life. You know, we, we just, I've got to prove myself to someone, some imaginary, even sometimes someone who's passed away, a dead parent or relative, I still feel I have to prove myself to them. Rejection has plagued humanity since the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve lived in this place that God made for them called Eden. It was, was amazing and it was like perfect harmony. It was a beautiful place it was, and they had food there. They had everything they could ever want in the Garden of Eden. It was just an amazing place. And then the serpent, who was the embodiment of evil, entered the scene and he said to them, he insisted that Adam and Eve needed something more 
to be the person that they could become, that God was holding back, that God was withholding something from them, that they were unfulfilled in their life or they were lacking in some way. So they believed the lie of the serpent and they disobeyed God and sin entered the world. And a seed was planted in their hearts called rejection. And it makes people think that there's something inferior about me, about us, something inferior about you. That there's something else that you need to be everything that you could be. And friends, we've got to nail that thing because God made you to be amazing. God made you to be incredible. He made you incredible. It's the things, that, the experiences of life that convince us that there's something missing in our life. You remember the story, I, I love reading about David, the shepherd David and the King David in the, in the Bible. And Before David killed the giant Goliath, um, there's a whole story in itself that happened right there that's so powerful in this particular area of rejection. So David turns up at the front line of the battle. He's delivering food for his brothers who were soldiers in the army. And David's the youngest. That's why he wasn't enlisted in the army. And so they're all there and they're, they're getting ready. They're trying to figure out how they can defeat this giant on the other side that's facing up to them and taunting them all. Anyway, David arrives with some fresh fruit, food from home. And uh, uh, was talking to some of the soldiers there about the Philistine giant, Goliath. Let's read uh, what uh, happened when David's older brother, Eliab, saw this happening. So Eliab, David's older brother, heard David fraternizing or socializing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why, why aren't you minding your own business, uh, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a frontline seat or ringside seat at the battle. Now, it doesn't sound like a very good uh, reception for someone who's just bought, they'd been there like a, uh, quite a while, like a month or something, and the food wasn't that good, military food. And here's that, their younger brother is bringing this fresh food from home. You'd be thinking they'd say, wow, thank you, buddy. That was great. That was awesome. This is the reception that he got. doesn't sound right, does it? There's something not quite right there. But we need to understand that even though David was young, probably you know, might have only been 15 years old, a bit of conjecture about how old he actually was, but definitely very young, uh, he'd already been appointed or set apart as the future king of Israel by the prophet of Israel, the prophet Samuel. And... Uh, um, in chapter 16, the previous chapter, chapter, Samuel had called all the sons of Jesse, including the youngest, all the sons of Jesse together, to a bit of a celebration. Because God had said to Samuel, I'm going to tell you, I want you to line up these young men and look, look at them all. I'm going to tell you which one of these will be the future king of Israel. It was time for a new king. And so Jesse brings all of his sons out and they're all ready there. And so... Uh, one by one, Samuel looks at them and God says to him, no, nah, that's not the one. Move on to the next one. No, nah, not the one. You know, and, and God said to Samuel, people look at the outward appearance. These young men look impressive. They look like they're all together. But God says, that's not the one I want. And he goes down the whole lot of the seven, I think. And everyone, God says, no. So Samuel says to Jesse, Mate, what's going on? Isn't there, isn't there anyone else, you know? 
Because he said they had prepared a feast, right? And Samuel says, we are not going to eat until we resolve this issue. Is there someone else? And so Jesse says, well, it's just, there's just one more, but he's, he's out in the fields looking after the sheep. And I didn't bother to bring him in because I thought, you know, it wouldn't be the youngest. It, and so Samuel says, we are not going anywhere until you bring him in. So they brought him in. Straight away, God says, that's the one. That's the one. Anoint him. We were talking about anointing last week, Paul. (laughs) Anoint him. So it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brothers standing around, with his brothers standing around watching him. Now David was anointing three times. This is the first one. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind. God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. So what happens is he's got this jug of oil. He gets it and pours the whole thing over David's head. That would have been a bit messy, would you agree? Kind of. Just imagine like olive oil or some kind of oil all over you. Mate, okay, yeah, okay, or whatever you reckon. But that's what they did. That's called being anointed. The oil speaks of the Holy Spirit all over you. God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. That's what happened. That's what they did. So anyway, fast forward for a year. And um, so... There's now this battle going on and all the other brothers there, they're they're all soldiers in the army and David's still a young kid, 15, probably got pimples on his face or whatever. And and so he's bringing this food and the older brother basically says, what are you doing here? We don't want you here. Why did he do that? Because he was rejected as not being the one, as the future king. And what happens is when we experience those things, it flows out. What happened is it surfaced. Eliab, the oldest brother, could have said, hey, everybody, this is my younger brother. One day he's going to be the future king of Israel and blessed and encouraged his younger brother. He could have said that, but he didn't. He said, what are you doing here? You should be home looking after those few scrawny sheep. Basically, we don't need you. Get lost. That's what he's really saying. And that's what happens. His own feelings of rejection surfaced in the way he treated his brother. And so I'm asking this, this morning, friends, what about us? What about you and me? How, what about you? Things that might have happened in your history, in your past, that might affect the way you relate to other people as well. Maybe we, how you've struggled to accept yourself, struggled to feel good about yourself. Struggle to believe what God says about you. I love these songs that we sing which say things like, what God says about me, that's the deal. That's the truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see myself the way God says I am, who God says I am. Because that's what we've got to do, folks. Quit thinking, thinking about yourself the way you think or the way some other person has said you are. Maybe some derogatory term or some humiliating term. Even it could be like a nickname. I remember I had a nickname as a kid. I won't even tell you what it was, but uh, I couldn't even understand it. But it was, I'm pretty sure it was derogatory. But, uh, but I, I don't want to accept what people say of me that I am. I want to say, see myself as what God says I am. And I encourage you the same. So here's some things I want to just quickly um, 
go through a couple of points of how we can deal with that evil thing called rejection that creeps into our hearts. And it's not going to take very long this morning. Um, uh, It's no surprise that the antidote or the answer to rejection is radical acceptance. To understand fully and wholly that I've been accepted by God and I am the person God wants me to be. So here's my three points this morning. Number one, I need to accept that I am made by God on purpose. And I'm going to mention some scriptures to you right now that uh, they're all favorite verses of mine. And most of them are scriptures that I've used in recent times because I just love them. And they're so significant. But I've got to understand that I'm made by God on purpose. Let's read it. Psalm 139 verse 13. Oh yes, God, you shaped me first inside then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. This is David talking. Now, David had become a master at overcoming rejection because he had rejection after rejection after rejection. We didn't have time to really go through. But in that, when I mentioned about his older brother, that was only one. There was two others that came the same day. Rejection experiences. David learned how to overcome these things. Lord, you, God, you shaped me inside and out. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I'm marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. So David was amazed at, and stunned at what God had done in making him. He recognized he'd been created by God. And here's the thing. It's not just about the fact of creation, but it's also about destiny about being made for a purpose and to say, you know, God has got a plan for your life. When we can get a hold of that, it changes everything because what I feel about myself almost pales into insignificance when I understand that God's purpose and His plan for my life supersedes my history and, and you know, where I've come from and what people say about me. God's plan is far bigger and better and it's based on His future vision of me. Let's go to verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion in my mother's womb. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. I want you to get a hold of this this morning, folks, because I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes' time. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. Now, it takes a lot to get your head around that. You might say, well, you know, I can't comprehend this. That's fair enough. That's understandable. Because we all live in a world that is finite. You know, we study mathematics at school and we do engineering and we do things that are all about measuring things. And we, you know, we do stuff that's based on finite you know, we quantify things in a finite sort of a way. But God is infinite. He goes beyond all of that. We've got, to, we've got to step outside of our finite thinking, limited thinking, and realize that God is unlimited. And so God sees the future and the past all as the same thing because He's not limited by our concepts of time. So when I understand you know, that God sees every day of my life written down before I even had one of them. That is a giant killing truth if we can take a hold of that today. 
And rejection, here's the thing, rejection doesn't want you to know you were made on purpose by God or that you were made uniquely by Him or that you were made beautiful in His sight or that you were made wonderfully for His glory to shine through you. Rejection is always trying to block those things and we've got to overcome that. The second thing, if we can take a hold of this, friends, that you are not only created by God on purpose, more than that, You've been chosen by Him, chosen by Him. And I think what we need to do, friends, is to immerse ourselves or clothe ourselves in this revelation or this principle, this truth that I've been chosen by God. That's why you're here this morning. You're here today because God chose you for a purpose, for a plan. Let's read Ephesians 1.4. It says, Long ago, even before He made the world, God chose us to be His very own through what Jesus, what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in His eyes without a single fault. Turn to the person next to you and say, without a single fault. That's, that's them. It could be you. We who stand before Him covered with His love, so, you know, God made you with something special in mind. And I, I just want us to um, think for a moment about that word where it says, He chose us. If you go back to the original language and look at that word chose, it's a verb. And it, it's, um, uh, it, it means this. It means um, to select or choose out with a definite outcome. It's like uh, having something specific in mind when you make the choice. It's actually from a word in the Greek language uh, spelt Lego, L-E-G-O. We, we all know what Lego is, but it's Lego in Greek. And Lego in Greek means to, to have an argument with someone because you want to prove a point. That's what it means. Nothing to do with little plastic box, blocks. That's what it means, to have an argument with the intention of, of proving a point or winning a point. So... Uh, Ek legomai, which is what this word is in Greek. Uh, ek means out of. It means it, it's a, that chosen out with the full intention of making a point and proving something. So what it's saying is that when God chose you to be His own, He had a very special purpose in mind. A very special purpose in mind. So here's the thing. Long before you knew Him, He knew you. Long before you knew God, he knew you and he loved you before the world began, the Bible tells us. Now, my job is to believe what God says. I have to read that and accept that. This is what God says. He chose us. He chose you before he even made the world. Uh, actually, there's a lot of theology behind that. We can actually look into that. Because God is the Father of spirits, the Bible tells us. I, I we can't get into it today, but I want to tell you that... Uh, Spirits are eternal, and you are a spirit. Spirits are eternal. God knew you before the world began. So before you ever felt the sting of rejection, <laughs> I love this, God went on record. He chose you before you ever had the opportunity to feel rejection from any other people. God said, I've already chosen you. You're mine. That gives you value. That makes something precious about you. Before anyone else decided whether you were good enough for them or not, God had already decided. 
He'd already, he said, I'm going to bring you into my family as a son or a daughter of the living God. He'd already decided, the Bible says. That's what it says here in Ephesians 1.4. Before anyone else had a chance to even think about it. You see, that's why it doesn't matter so much what anyone thinks of you. Because God says, you're amazing. You are special. Someone here this morning, or it might be watching online, that's been adopted as a, as a child, as an infant. And it feels for you like you were left at the adoption agency. Someone, they just left you there and, and left. And here's the good, I've got some amazing news for you this morning. If you were adopted, I want to tell you this, that God picked you up and loved you before they ever dropped you off. That's a powerful truth. God said, I love you. And he picked you up before they ever dropped you off. And he said, I want, I want you in. I want, I'm choosing you. I want you in my forever family. I'm, I'm giving you a name. I'm giving you a place. I'm giving you an inheritance. And my riches are unlimited. God's riches are unlimited. So here's the question we all have to face. You know, if God has chosen you, there, there is still a question, am I going to choose him? Because God's choosing of me is far more important. It's far more important that he's chosen me. But at some point, I've got to decide, am I going to choose him? And when you make that choice, the deal is complete. It's all done. You are his and he is yours. Here's my last point this morning. Um, to overcome rejection. I need to learn how to live from the place of acceptance and not for acceptance. Because so often in our lives, we, we do things and we, you know, our, our lives reflect that we are trying to find acceptance you know, from other people. Very often within peer groups, you see this happen. I mean, uh, I'm sure you know that peer pressure, especially for young people, is a very real thing. You know, there's, a, there's a saying, you know, when you want to rise above peer pressure, you say, be the peer pressure. Don't be influenced by it, but, but be the one, hopefully influencing others for good. But um, so often we do things to find acceptance, don't we? And you see that in, you know, I won't go there. You just, we just see it a lot, so much in life. And um, I was reading a story of um, Louis Giglio, who's a, a famous uh, evangelist and pastor of a large church in the, in the U.S. And some of you might, might know of him, but... He had opportunity to speak to a group of swimmers that who were in the competing in the Olympics in the 2016 Olympics, and and uh, the day before they left to fly down to Rio de Janeiro, he was asked to speak to this group of elite athletes, and in the in the room there was multiple gold medal winning ath athletes, swimmers, and as well as some other uh, first timers, but. Um, so he was praying, he said, God, help me to, to know what to say to these people. And so he felt drawn to share with them from Matthew chapter 3. And this is a scripture that I've shared many times as well. But uh, let's read it, Matthew 3, 16. It says, the moment Jesus, this is Jesus being baptized, like we did last week. Uh, Jesus was baptized to give us an example that this is what we should do. So the moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's Spirit. It looked like a dove uh, descending and landing on him. And along with the Spirit, a voice, This is my Son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. 
I absolutely love this verse because what it says is right at the beginning, because see, this is the first thing that happened before Jesus began his ministry. So this happened, and then the same day it says that he, he went out, actually the, he was sort of driven, it says, out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he was tested and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. We're about to have a fasting season coming up, but we've, we've decided to go easy and make it 21 days, not 40 days. But Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he, after that, he began his ministry. It says he, he returned to Galilee, empowered by the Spirit of God, and he began to minister to people and to, and to heal the sick and all this amazing stuff. So here's the thing. Before he began and before he'd done anything at all, he was baptized, and the Father, his Father in heaven said, Hey, 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 everyone, look at this guy. This, this, this is my son. This is the son whom I love, marked by my love, and I'm so pleased with him. I'm fully pleased with him. He hadn't done anything yet. And it's so important for us to get hold of the fact that God doesn't look at you and say, You're wonderful, and I love you because of what you do for him. He doesn't, it's not a response to anything you have or could do for him. He says, I've chosen you. I created you. I chose you and you're mine. I love you and I'm pleased with you. And then he says, now knowing that, now you can start to think about doing something for me after that. He created us for good works that we should live in them and and do those good works. But that's not we don't do that to get acceptance from God. So anyway, um, so Louis Giglio says to these athletes, he says, he said to them, when you're standing on the block before the starting gun goes off at the 2016 Olympics, he said, um, look down. I want you to look down at the block and see the word accepted written on there. And just understand that, think of your, think of your father in heaven saying, you belong to me. You belong, and I really love you right now. I'm loving you right now. And then he said, swim like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> not, not because you'll find acceptance at the end of the race, but because you already have it right now. And it's so important for us to understand, friends, that whatever we do for God, you know, we can be doing a lot of things. We can do, do, do a lot of things, but don't do it to find acceptance by God. We need to understand He loves you right now. He loves you before you do all that stuff. And uh, it's not a reason to not do the stuff, but it's just to understand that we're accepted. And when we can get a hold of that, it means that rejection can't control us any longer. It can't control you and your heart any longer because you're free of that. You can be free of that when you know who you are in God. I'd like our creative people to come back up to the stage if they can. And uh, so I'm, I'm asking you this morning, friends, you know, are you willing to stake your claim on what God says about you and, and say in the, in the knowledge that I'm loved by God and say, look, I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my history says. I don't, this might be a bit strong, but I don't even care what my family says because sometimes it's family members that can be the ones that are most challenging and can and bring those negative thoughts into our minds sometimes. God, I care what you say and you say I'm created by you. I am chosen by you. I'm loved by you. I'm accepted by you.
I'm encouraging you this morning, friends, to stake your claim and say, today, this is a revelation. You know, I, I, made, I might have heard this before. Maybe I heard someone else talk about this before. Maybe I even heard Pastor Peter talk about it before. But I want to tell you, today it's a revelation. I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. Today I'm getting it. Maybe today is your day to make a decision to choose Jesus, to follow Him. And you've, you've come to understand that He's chosen you and it's your turn, your turn to make a decision. I'm going to follow Him today. I'm going to make that choice, my decision to follow Him this morning. Can we all pray as we bring this to a close today? Father, we thank You for Your love for us. I want to thank You for Your amazing choice in choosing each one of us as Yours. We belong to You today. And I pray for each person in this room today and those watching online. Perhaps someone who has not yet made that decision to say, God, I choose you as well. That today can be the day when you make that choice. That you say, from this time on, I'm going to follow you wholly with my whole heart. If you're watching online today and you're making that choice right now, I want to encourage you to write something in the chat. Or contact us and we'll, we'll be able to encourage you and, and bless you in, in God today. Maybe you're here in this room and you haven't really made that choice. Or maybe you've made it in the past and you've drifted away from that and you haven't really been able to follow through on that commitment. But today you know that God is saying, today's the day when I, when I make a permanent decision that I'll never go back on. God, I choose you as my Savior. While people have got their heads bowed, no one's looking around. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's